Matthew chapter 11, look, look at verse 12. It says, and from the days of John the Baptist until now, this is Jesus talking, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violence take it by force. Uh, this is a verse you won't see on very many refrigerator magnets or bumper stickers in Mennonite homes. Uh, you, you, this is not a Mennonite verse. I mean, you don't hear this in quizzing. Uh, it's got the word violence in it. It's just not our kind of verse. And so, and then King James, uh, you know, suffereth violence, and the violence sees it through violence kind of thing. It just sounds awful. It just sounds like a, an HBO kind of verse. Uh, but it's Jesus talking. And he's saying, John the Baptist was a game changer. Everything changed. John's neither Old Testament or New Testament, or he's both. We're not sure. John's just totally radically different. Everything changed. Everything in God changed with John coming. And uh, so he's the last Old Testament prophet, the first New Testament prophet, however you want to say it. Uh, although I was down in Chile one time, and they said that the, 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 the last prophet, uh, or maybe the first New Testament prophet, was the rooster that crowed. When Peter denied the Lord. Um, anyway, so John the Baptist, that was a game changer. He says, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. And uh, it's, this is a lot more uh, applicable to our everyday life than you can possibly imagine. This, this verse, a lot, of, a lot of what happens for you spiritually hinges on this verse. And... Um, yeah, it's a key. We have, to, we have to know what this verse is saying because everything in the kingdom works by this verse. Everything. And so uh, let's take it apart for a few minutes and I'll show you how we're going to apply it for this next little while. Kingdom of heaven suffers violence. Remember when Jesus said, suffer the little children to come unto me. He's actually saying, let them, allow them. So you could say the kingdom of heaven allows violence. Um, Actually, you could almost say the kingdom of heaven requires violence. And violence here is not violence where mean, mean face foaming at the mouth, kind of throwing a brick through the window kind of violence. Uh, it's the word aggression. And there's a kind of spiritual aggression that's required to get anything from God. And so uh, let's read it this way. The kingdom of God allows aggression. And the aggressive sees the kingdom through aggression. And so uh, for you to sit back and say, well, we'll see if it happens or not. Or God knows where I live, and so if he wants me to have this, he can, he can make me have it. Uh, that's contrary to this verse. That kind of passivity will not work in the kingdom. It's contrary to the kingdom. It's, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to make it so that you won't get anywhere in terms of the kingdom. The kingdom requires a certain amount of aggression on your part. And you're going to have to step up. And you're going to have to say, I'm going for this. I'm pressing in. I'm seizing it. I'm taking it. This is something I want. I'm going after it. And we, we hold back because we don't want to... Uh, I mean, we're humble people, and we don't want to be sticking our nose out there. We don't want to be imposing anything on God. But Jesus is saying, no, you're not imposing. 
Uh, in fact, if you're, if you're going to come into the things of the kingdom, the power of the Spirit, uh, the life of the Spirit, all of that, you're going to have to get up. You're going to have to come forward. You're going to have to make an effort. You're going to have to rouse yourself. And the kingdom of God allows aggression. And actually, the kingdom of God requires aggression. And the aggressive sees the things of the kingdom through aggression. That's what that verse is saying. For example, have you ever heard of someone testify that, like this? I didn't want to be saved, but I was walking down the street, and God made me saved. He, he, he put that on me, and I just it just come out of nowhere, and, and now I'm saved, and I, I didn't want to be saved. It happened to me. Someone pushed it on me. God pushed it on me. I, did, I wasn't even doing it. You, you haven't heard a testimony like that because God's wanting them, the person who wants to be saved, to be aggressive for salvation. And so you see different people in the Bible who are going after. They're taking the, they're taking the first step. They're initiating something, and then they get it, and they come into it. And, and that's what the Lord has set this whole thing up on this basis that you have to make some kind of indication that you're hungry, some kind of indication that you're open, some kind of indication that you want this. And once he sees that, you get to receive whatever it is of the kingdom, whether it's salvation or healing or whatever it is, you get to experience that. Um, when you watch Jesus walking for three and a half years in his ministry, here's something you don't see. You don't see him getting out into the marketplace saying, healing, healing, come and get your healing. Who wants healing? Like, a, like a, some at, a, at a country market or at a, at a carnival uh, where the, the, the barker's hollering and trying to get people to take their goods. Uh, Isaiah said he, he won't lift his voice in the streets. That's really what he's talking about. That he's not going to be out there saying, hey, who wants truth? I've got truth. Come and get truth. He's not going to do that. Wisdom, wisdom, on the other hand, does put itself out there because people don't know that it's even available. But Jesus didn't operate that way. What he did is he walked through and people had something happen in their hearts. Like this little old lady is sitting on her porch and she's been bleeding for years. And she can't get on top of it. Everything, she's spent money. She's gone to doctors. She's got nothing but worse. And it's just years and years of her life ebbing away. Plus the social stigma. You can't go out anywhere. You can't touch people. You can't, you can't uh, socialize. There's stuff you can't do because you've got this issue of blood. And, and it's sociably um, irresponsible. It's wrong. It's against the law to do anything. But she's on her rocker on the front porch, and she's heard stories about Jesus. And the Bible says she says within herself, she said within herself, if I could just touch even just the, the hem of his garment, I will be healed. She said that within herself. If that's all she did and kept rocking, she would never have been healed. I mean, that's faith. She does have faith, and she's rocking in faith. She's in the rocker chair, and she's going back and forth. She says, I know if I could just get to Jesus. I've heard stories about him. I heard testimonies, and he's, he's coming this way. If I could just but touch him, and if that's as far as she went right there, 
She would never ex experience anything. But she got up. She got up and she left the rocker. And she, I can picture her elbowing her way through the crowd, making a way, deciding that nothing's going to stop her, that she's, she had this picture, this idea of getting down and touching the hem of his garment. And somehow she, she broke all the protocol. She broke all the, all the stigma. She got past what she thought other people might think. And she got in among the crowd, and she reached down, and she touched the hem of his garment, and all of a sudden, electricity, virtue. And it just felt like electricity. Just went from, from the hem of his garment all through her, and she knew that she was completely healed. And Jesus stops and says, who touched me? And his disciple says, what? Yeah. Look at the crowd. Everybody's touching you. I mean, it's just one massive crowd. How could you say, who touched me? He said, but virtue left me. He turns around and he sees this woman. He can tell by the look on her face that it was her. And he declared her healed. He said, your faith has made you whole. And what happened is she had faith in the rocking chair when she's on the porch. She had faith started stirring in her heart when she was hearing testimonies. She was hearing about Jesus, and she thought, boy, if I could, if I could get close to him, if I could touch him. And, and she does have humility. She wasn't doing this in a big dramatic way. She was doing it in a very humble way. If I could just touch the hem of his garment. And she roused herself. And that aggression released the kingdom of God in her body. She experienced the kingdom. It's called salvation or healing, so-so. She experienced it because she was aggressive. And there's just story after story. In fact, you'll only find maybe one story, possibly two stories, where Jesus actually goes and offers healing to someone. The man, that, the man who'd been at the, at the Pool of Siloam for years, and a lifetime of waiting, waiting for the waters to be stirred, Jesus sought him out, probably because from a boy, Jesus saw him there. Probably from uh, you know, a lifetime of going to, to temple every, every uh, three times a year, he probably saw the guy in the same position. Something happened in Jesus that said, let's, 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 let's deal with that. That's rare. So we can't, we can't ever say it never happens. There are exceptions to this. There are exceptions to it. But by and large, the way the kingdom works is there must be some kind of aggression. So you see uh, blind Bartimaeus. He hears a crowd coming. He can hear the scuffle on the pavement, the cobblestones. He could, hear the, he could feel the crowd. You could feel the energy of the crowd coming. And he says, what's happening? What's happening? Who's coming? They said, Jesus is coming. And all of a sudden, he throws off his cloak, and he begins to rouse himself and begins to shout, Jesus, Jesus, thou son of David. And for, for him to say that publicly, that's Messiah language. Jesus, and he began to raise his voice, and they said, shut up, sit down, be still, stop, don't make, don't make a fuss. 
And he became even more aggressive. And he gets up, and I could just see him staggering out in the street, saying, Jesus, Jesus. And he's raising his voice. His friends are saying, be quiet. Hush up. Stop. Stop. Don't do this. It's embarrassing, or whatever, whatever they're feeling. He wouldn't stop. Jesus, all this time, keeps walking. He doesn't rush over the first minute. Jesus has got hot hands. He's got power. I mean, he's seen so much power by this time in his ministry, but he didn't go over right away. There's something that he let build. He let this guy, he let this guy raise his voice. He let his aggression grow. He let his aggression go white hot, where he's not going to take no for an answer. And everyone's telling him to hush up and be quiet. And he's abandoned his cup. He's abandoned his cloak. And he's out there and he's saying, Jesus, have mercy on me. Jesus stops. He says, what do you want? He says, my eyes. And he says, you have them. And all of a sudden, for the first time, he can see. And it happened. The kingdom of God came. Aren't you amazed by the story where Jesus is eating lunch with his disciples? They're all sitting down. They're all hunkered over their bowls and their plates. And there's a woman crying at the door. And she won't go away. And she's pleading with them. My daughter, she's demon-possessed. This, this demon has taken hold of her. And they just keep eating. And Jesus keeps eating. And the guys, they, they can't even look at her anymore. And finally they said, send her away. And she kept at it. And finally, Jesus has to bring it to a close. He said, look, this is, it's, it's the way I'm sent. I'm sent for the people of Israel. I'm sent for the children. But he tells it, you know, he frames it in a way that's, that's, that's kind of odd, you know. He said, no, uh, I can't give bread to the dogs, the children's bread to the dogs. And she doesn't... She's not offended. There are people who read the story who are offended, but she's not offended. She's not offended. She says, but, 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 but the puppies, the puppies under the table, they eat from the bread. And Jesus can't say no anymore. Something trips his heart. Kingdom is released. He says, go your way. She's taken care of everything. She goes back home and her daughter is normal again. Back to normal. Well, what released the kingdom was she wouldn't take no for an answer. There's an aggression. And something's, especially in our American culture, there's a kind of a passivity where we want it to all come our way and happen to us, and sometimes it does. It's, but there's a place for aggression in the kingdom. And you can see it all through the, the healing minister of Jesus where it happened, where the guys are tearing the roof off the place. Now listen, here's, what I'm, here's the reason I'm telling you this. I'm not telling you this to get you healed. I'm telling this to you tonight so you can see people healed more often. Because we have hot hands and hot hearts. We're so eager to, play, to pray that we don't even wait for aggression to kick in. And, and we, have to, we have to let that happen. We have to begin looking for it. And so when we see some aggression start to happen, people, people are coming in and saying, I, I want this. I, I want to be healed. They're initiating it. 
When, when I see that happen, something happens inside of me that says, it's, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Because I know something about the kingdom that it works, it hinges on aggression. The reason for altar calls, why would you do an altar call? You know, it's embarrassing. You've got to stand up. You've got to come forward. And sometimes, and, and we make it easy. I mean, we just say, you know, go on over there and we'll pray for you over there. It's, it's kind of like you can be a little bit anonymous and you go after the meeting. But when altar calls first happen, the controversy that they stirred because people said, you, you had them stand up and admit that they had a need. You had them come forward. I think Finney was one of the first people in American history to popularize, uh, popularize the altar call. And he was, he was taken on put on kind of a trial by his denomination for the altar call because it was so radical. So it was undignified. He had a section of seats called the anxious seats. If you're anxious for your salvation, stand up, move over there, and I'll know that you're anxious for your salvation. You're admitting that you have a need. You're admitting that you're not saved. And people would be sobbing and shaking, and they'd go up, and they'd take an anxious seat. And then the workers are trained to go and, and pray for them. And, and sometimes Finney would go and preach in their ear and help them come into salvation. It was embarrassing. It was undignified. It was unchristian. Finney tapped into something. At first, I don't think he really fully understood it. After a while, he said, well, I, I did that back then, but now I'm doing it intentionally. Now, we're, now we do it all the time. And then from there on in, everybody you can name, who's anybody with us, you know, right up to Billy Graham, they're doing the altar call. But at first, it was just, it was just awful. It was undignified that you would do this kind of thing. I'm not good at altar calls. I'm not, I don't even like altar calls, personally. I like salvation, and I like the kingdom to come. And I realize that if I can let people know that this is available and they come forward, because some people just wouldn't otherwise break forward and come forward, but, but if they just did it on their own, it ratchets up in my thinking the possibility that they're going to experience something from the kingdom of God. Because aggression, I, I want you to get an eye for aggression, uh, which means you maybe have to become a little aggressive yourself. But watch for aggression. Listen for it. Listen for it when people come to you and say, you know, I know there's, I see something here. I, I, I see something concerning this, uh, the power of the Holy Spirit, life of the Holy Spirit you guys have. I don't really have that. Would you lay hands on me that I could have that? Well, when I hear that, it's game over. Yeah, I don't even wonder whether it's going to happen because I hear enough aggression. But if I'm out there offering it constantly, offering it constantly, it could happen. I'm not saying it couldn't happen, but it's not quite the same. We need to let the aggression build. Happened this week. Saw people take steps of aggression and they experienced something of the kingdom of God. This happens for the Holy Spirit. It happens for healing. I want you to get an eye for aggression. I want you to begin looking for it. Even to a point where you, where you hold back 
in your willingness to get right in there and lay hands on them because you want that to jack up. If it gets up there to a certain level, say it's like from zero to 10, if it can get up to seven, eight, nine, they'll pop, they'll explode. They'll, they'll have a, gr a greater experience with it than if, if, if you see one or two on the Richter scale and then you go in there and you get right in there and you minister because you're, you're eager to minister and we, and we want you to be eager to minister. But we don't want to monkey with this whole thing of aggression. We want that aggression that be there, and we want it to, we want it to build. We want it to be hot. It's what releases the kingdom of God. There's been times when people have come, and wanted wanted ministry, and I've put them off. Haven't been cooperative. And people have called me out on it. They said, well, you didn't, how come you didn't get ready in there and pray for the guy? Well, just work with me here. Watch and see what happens. You know, I want that. I feel like it's too low. They might not have the fullest experience that they could have. I want to see that aggression grow. I don't want to be too, too quick and too easy just to give it all away. I want that to grow. Everything in the kingdom hinges on aggression. So this whole altar call ministry, I think it has to build at Wellspring. I don't think, I don't think we're doing it fully. I don't think we're, we're fully aware, fully engaged. And uh, I think there's a lot more fruit that can come out of this kind of thing. I think we'll see more. Uh, see, like when it's just us, uh, I'm, not, I'm not all that excited about the altar call. If this place was divided with unbelievers and, and, I, and there's meetings that I get into sometimes where I could see that there are unbelievers there, altar call becomes a primary concern. It becomes the focal point of the whole message, the whole ministry as I'm building. I'm building for that moment where I'm going to give them an opportunity to come forward and, the, and if they take it, heaven's going to happen for them. With us, for the most part, we, we've had it all. We've, we've tasted it all. Uh, so it's, it's less exciting for me. It's less, I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm admitting something here. It's harder for me to get excited about it when it's us. It doesn't take anything away from the kingdom and it doesn't take anything away from the power of God. I, I, I've seen, I, I, want, I want people to get in on everything God has for us. But I want us to tr get an eye for aggression. I want us to be able to recognize it, see it, and say, okay, that just happened. That means this is going to happen because I hear and I see aggression. Let's put it in terms of the gifts of spirit. Uh, sometimes we're, we're really, uh, uh, we're giving it away too easy, easier than what God does. Uh, the gifts of spirit are not common. They're not, they're, they're not operating among us very much. There's very little in terms of the gifts of spirit that I know that are resident. Uh, even among us and in our circles, in part because there has to be a greater desire for it. Let's just take a few minutes and look at it. Would you go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12? Paul's laying out about the, the gifts of the Spirit, how they operate, what they are. He's talking about the different callings. Now look at verse 31. 
He said, but earnestly desire the best gifts. And yet I show you a more excellent way. The excellent way is found in verse 13, and that's the motives for ministry. It's the motives for how the gifts flow. They flow out of a, out of a love motive rather than a selfish motive. But verse 31, but earnestly desire the best gifts. That's a verse you should write out. That's a verse that you can put on your refrigerator door. That's a verse that you can put on the flyleaf of your Bible or on your bookmarker. Somehow, earnestly desire. Old King James would say, covet earnestly. Covet earnestly. And covet is an interesting language because we're told not to covet. Almost any time you see the word covet in the Bible, we're told not to covet. And all of a sudden, Paul's using language that's normally negative, and he's using it in a positive way. He's saying, I, I want you to be hot. I want you to be passionate. I want you to want this with a real want to. I want you to want the gifts of spirit. Then he does something interesting. He links it up with the word earnestly, and that's another hot word. So he's saying, I want you to be hot, hot for the gifts of the Spirit. I want you to be hot, hot for the gifts of the Spirit. What are you hot, hot for? I, be I bet, I bet there's nothing that you can think of that you're hot, hot for. I bet you can't name somewhere. Name one thing. In Chile, maybe they're hot, hot for football, for soccer. They're crazy about it. They're crazy about it. Maybe empanadas are hot, hot for empanadas. Maybe we're hot, hot here for chicken wings. Maybe this weekend, Austin got hot, hot for the Buffalo Bills. He got a little, he got a little hot, hot. I saw some hot coming out for the Buffalo Bills. Uh, I mean, there's very few things that you're hot, hot for. And then if you're from a Mennonite background, it's really hard to get your hot, hot engaged. But he's saying, listen now, he's saying... You, it's not God, it's you, need to become hot, hot for the gifts of spirit. I don't think you can come into the gifts of spirit with anything less than hot, hot. I don't think you can. I mean, we can speak in tongues a little bit, maybe, maybe pray prophetically a little bit, but to really come into the gifts, I think it's going to require an entirely different level of intentionality. It's going to take another level of aggression. It's going to take another level of desire. Something has to stoke your desire. Uh, for me, when I was a young Christian, of course, I read everything in the scripture I could read. I, I followed Jesus. I, I made movies of him in my imagination of him praying for people. That got my desire up. I found out when Jesus turned the whole thing around. He says, these signs shall follow you. And I could feel him pointing to me that I could actually pray for the sick and they would be healed. I mean, that was permission that's, that stoked my desire. Something has to stoke your desire. Get old books of Smith Wigglesworth. Get books of Howard Carter. Get books of some of the old guys who are out there doing it. And let that fuel your desire. Because you're going to have to get your desire up. You're going to have to put a few logs on the fire. You're going to have to get your desire up. From where your desire is now, it's not enough. Let me just say, it really is not enough. If it was, we'd be brimming with the gifts of spirit. They're held out of reach, not from us, but that once they're given, God can never take them back, so he doesn't give them away cheaply. They're free, but they're not cheap. They're free, but 
He wants you to want them because that desire that you're going to exercise to get into them, you're going to have to keep that desire to get function in them in a, in a consistent, powerful way. Because after a while, the novelty wears off. After a while, you've prophesied a bunch of stuff. And, and so the, uh, you feel like you can just kind of park it for a while, take it easy. You're going to have to have desire. It, the, the kingdom of God hinges on desire. The gifts of the Spirit hinges on desire. God can desire them for you all he wants to, but they will not happen. He will not ram them down your throat. He won't impose them on you. He won't put them in your stocking on the tree. He won't break this thing. The kingdom of God works with aggression. You're going to have to want them. You're going to have to want them. You're going to have to fast toward it. You're going to have to pray toward it. You're going to have to study toward it. You're going to have to plead with heaven over and over again. I want this. I want this. There's a woman, and she was a, a woman evangelist, and she was effective in her ministry. A lot of people come to Christ through her ministry. And uh, as she, she came from a, a rough Missouri uh, upbringing, you know, kind of a poor uh, uh, background, and uh, no real education, and, and she read about the gifts of spirit. She was just constantly in chapter 12 reading about it. She knew that there was something more for her, something more available for, for uh, the children of God. She said, I lack knowledge. I don't have knowledge. And she began to aggressively go after knowledge. And she said, Lord, I don't know enough. I don't, I don't, I don't have enough knowledge. You said here there's a gift of word of knowledge. I want this. And she began pleading with God, and she began going after this. And she decided every time that she was going to pray, she was going to say, by the way, uh, and she'd remind God, I'm asking for knowledge. I want that gift. That's the gift I'm claiming. You said desire the best gifts. I want word of knowledge. I want word of knowledge. The Lord is not offended by that any more than the guys breaking the roof down. I think Jesus smiled on that. I think he, I think he got a kick out of that. The Pharisees didn't like it much, but Jesus did. She was going after this thing with aggression. Then she's in a meeting one day, and it's just a, a, a meeting where she preaches the gospel and people get saved, and there's a crowd there, and all of a sudden she knew. She knew as sure as she was alive. She had a knowing that there's someone over here who has cancer, and Jesus is healing them right now, and she says, you're being healed. I just know it. Stand, and they would stand up and they'd say, I, I had cancer. I came here sick. I've been asking God to heal me. And she said, and they, I could feel virtue. And she'd have them come forward and testify, and the place would go crazy. And she started in this, this knowing, a, a supernatural knowing began to operate through her at a level that no one had ever seen before. Nobody was doing this. All the healing ministries, they'd come forward, they laid hands on the sick, according to Mark uh, 16, they'd lay hands on the sick and they would pray for them and that's what was happening. This was different. Then it started happening rapid fire where she said, this is happening here, this is happening there. And the meetings, the meetings just turned into the most amazing uh, burst of power and energy and people would come up and testify that Jesus healed them out there in the meeting the living Christ walking among the pews touching people and she would just know and people said well how do you know and she said I don't know I just know she started operating a word of knowledge she didn't even know what it was there's no teaching on it this before Bill Johnson was Bill Johnson this is before 
I mean, we know this stuff now. We take it for granted, but this was in a day when nobody knew anything about word of knowledge like this. Or I shouldn't say nobody. Very few people knew, knew about it. Her name was Catherine Kuhlman. And everybody after that, you watch Benny Hinn, you, there's so many people who are operating at a high level of word of knowledge in meetings because she kind of demonstrated what it's like and re released them and it stoked a desire and they're saying, I want that. I want to be able to do that. And they began seeking God. Next thing you know, they're operating in word of knowledge. It has to begin with somebody going after it. Somebody pressing in for it. Let's look at another one. Let's go to chapter 14, verse 1, very close by. Pursue love. That's the motivator. That's the more excellent way. And desire spiritual gifts. But especially that you may prophesy. Turn to the person next to you and say, God wants you to prophesy. Hey, Tim. God wants you to prophesy. According to this, he wants you to want to. He wants you to prophesy. He wants you to prophesy. Isn't that what it says? But you've got to get your want to up there. Your want to has to be stoked. Your want to has to be released. God has to see your want to. He equates your want to to faith. Without faith, we're not going to see the miracles. We're not going to see the... Uh, the kingdom come, it, it requires faith, and it comes out of this desire. Look at the verse 12. Chapter 14, verse 12. Even so, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. Or let me say it this way. Uh, since you're red hot, on fire for the spiritual gifts, let it be for the benefit of others. Now, most of us would never get stoked, get red hot for ourselves. We, we, it would, it's too much work. It's too much trouble. Wouldn't do it for me. But I'll tell you, I'm going to press into this for my church. I'm going to press into this for our people. Uh, we need to see something happen in this area of healing or whatever it is that you're seeking. But he, he noticed, he said, I see that you're on fire for the gifts of the Spirit. It kind of spread through the church. Once some, some of them came into it, other people said, oh, that's what it looks like? I want the same thing. I, and you're allowed to covet. You're allowed to covet what you see. You're allowed to covet what you hear. It doesn't matter what kind of gift it is. Once you see it, you're allowed to covet it. In fact, the kingdom works that way. Even the Holy Spirit, Jesus said in Luke eleven thirty one, 31, he says, uh, God gives the Holy Spirit to those who ask. Uh, we can impose, we can present, we can offer, and you might get a, a one or a two in, on the Richter scale of, of desire, but if, if that desire is building within them and they come in with an eight, nine, 10, uh, seven, eight, nine, ten, somewhere in there, they'll pop. They'll come into the power of the, uh, the baptism of the Spirit at a different level than if we're just making it available like it's, in the, it's our next course, it's our nice little meal, and we want you to have it. It's different. We, we, we want to see people being aggressive for these things.
It's a key. Does that make sense? I'm not just trying to move you further down. I want you to have eyes for it. I want you to see. I want you to know the mechanics of why there's such a thing as an altar call or why we wait sometimes or, or why we want to hear them pray the prayer. Uh, it's one thing for you to pray the prayer and pray, God, I want them to have the baptism of spirit. And you go through and your desire is stoked. You want them to have it because you know how much it changed your life and your desire is up. But they're kind of just not really sure about it. It can happen, and I've seen it where it does happen, but it's not the same. You want to see their desire. You want to see their ambition. You want to see their, their want to engage. God's listening for it. If you read Galatians chapter 3, verses 2 and verses 5, it says, God is listening. He's listening. Does God do miracles among you by the hearing of the law or by the fact that you do everything right? Or does he do miracles among you and give you the Holy Spirit? Because he hears faith. I want us to begin listening for faith. I want us to get an ear trained to hear. I hear faith. I hear faith in this young person. They're saying, I've been asking God for this. And we can, with assurance, say, it's yours. Let me, let me just release that in you. Because you hear faith. It's a game changer. Let me just stop, and we'll stop with this here. Then we'll give a chance to pray for each other a little bit. The whole story of Simon the sorcerer is, is, uh, is such an offensive story, you know, where this guy sees Peter and John come down to Samaria, and, and they lay hands on people, and they receive the baptism of the Spirit. Simon's been in the trickery. He's been doing smoke and mirrors and sleight of hand, and he's been doing all this, but now he's seeing real power. He's seeing... He's seeing the power of the Holy Spirit. He wants it. It blows his mind. He sees it. He covets it. Nothing wrong with that. But he goes up to them, and he says, I'll pay you for this. I'll, I, I've, got, I've got money. I'll pay you. I want the ability that whoever I lay my hands on, they'll receive the Holy Spirit. Now, and then Peter, according to J.B. Phillips' translation, he says, to hell with you and your money. That's actually what he said. And uh, so we don't like that story. So we don't use it. But let's stop. Let's freeze frame it for a second, and let's stop and see what we can get out of the story. See if there's a positive in the story. Here's the positive I want you to take home tonight. This is the positive. James and, and Peter, or Peter and John, I should say, had come to this place that they believed they had something to give away. That they believed that whoever they lay hands on, they could actually give away the Holy Spirit. In other words, he wasn't coming down from heaven into their hearts. He was coming through them. They have something on the inside of them that can be imparted to other people. And they believed that whoever they laid hands on, they could actually give away the Holy Spirit. You can't go around and give the Holy Spirit to people who aren't asking, who aren't seeking. I mean, that would be a weird party, wouldn't it? If you're just, there, you got the Holy Spirit. I didn't want it. Not even, you got it, and I just gave it to you. I mean, that would just too be, that'd be too weird. But hungry people, open people, Peter and John had this knowing 
than if they could lay their hands on them. And if you can get your knowing up, like there's guys that can, you know, they would, I've read stories where they'll get seven people coming up who are wanting the baptism of spirit and go down the line and everyone that they touch, instantly they start speaking in tongues, instantly. Not no hesitation, instantly they just start popping because their, their whole understanding of the mechanics of this thing has gotten up, has improved. Simon saw something. It wasn't bad. His approach to it and his reasons, his motive were wrong. His motive was wrong. But what he saw was very interesting. He saw people, these young guys, that whoever they laid their hands on received the Holy Spirit. Something happened that was visible. Something happened that was audible. Something happened that was obvious to everybody. And he says, that's what I want. I want that ability. I want that ability that whoever I lay hands on, they receive the Holy Spirit. I, I, I want for you to take away from this that you have something on the inside of you to give away. You have something to give away. I don't even wonder whether it will happen. I don't even wonder. I don't even think. I never think in terms of is God going to decide whether to give it away to them or not. I don't, I don't even think, is God going to decide in the next minute whether this person receives the Holy Spirit? For me, it's a done deal. He decided 2,000 years ago, I have something on the inside of me to give away. If I could lay hands on them, it'll happen. If their want to is high enough, they'll explode with the Holy Spirit. They'll have a powerful trembling encounter with the Holy Spirit. If their, if their want to is really low, I, there's, there's been times where their want to because they just don't know anything about it. It's completely foreign. I get that. I understand that. But if they give me a little bit of want to, I'll take it. But if I can get their want to up, Jesse's a good example of someone that we said no to. We put him off. We said, study more. Here's some notes. Read these. And he was coming asking, and we just put him off and put him off. And so he's reading this stuff. He's reading his Bible. He's praying. He saw something in his brother that he wanted. He began to covet. We saw his covet begin to grow. By the time we're in a meeting where I felt like the Lord said, now is the time to, to lay hands on him. The moment we had him come forward in front of everyone, he exploded. I mean, the, it was just like a microburst. It was one of the best experiences I ever saw. There was no hesitation. I mean, God just poured... I wish that happened all the time. I think the way to get it to happen a little more consistently is to stoke their want to, get their want to up there and get you to believe you've got something to give away. God's not deciding. He's already decided. You need to decide. You need to decide. You've got something to give away. I remember going in the meetings down in Chile and, and having encounters with the Lord where the Lord would speak to me and show me what was going to happen. And I remember walking in these meetings, you know, just feeling, feeling nothing, no, no spirituality, no sense of being spiritual or holy or, or any of that kind of stuff. But at the same time, knowing I have something to give away. I have something to give away. I have something that's going to make a difference in this place. And when I begin to release it, you could just see it go through the whole meeting I don't think that way. 
among us. I'm not sure why. Maybe I have to have a, a heart change because it's us. We're, I mean, we're family. We're, we're together all the time. I don't think the same way. I don't come to church always with that same consciousness. When I get around poor, needy people and, and I got a one-shot deal to get in there and, and get them to be exposed to something of the kingdom of God, I, I become another man. Something happens to me. And maybe that's a, a, in a way of kind of an apology. That I don't really think that way about us. Maybe that has to change. Is this helpful? Watch people when they get up. Watch people when they go forward. If you're here and you've been getting training, that's your opportunity. If you can get over there and you can get their want to to go up a notch or two, they'll have a, a more fuller, powerful experience, and you want that for them. Don't make it too easy. They, they get close to you and you go off like a pinball machine, all lit up, prophesying, doing all kinds of stuff because you're ready to go. You're excited. You want to do it, and they have no idea what, what just hit them. Jesus was aggressive to give away the kingdom, but he held back. There's some kind of clutch and break thing that's happening that comes with maturity, that comes with understanding how the kingdom works, and we, we're going to have to come into that a little bit more. He came to bring salvation. He came to bring healing. He came to give that. That was his mandate from God. But why he hesitated, why he held back when that, he knew that was available and he knew how to pray for the sick, is because their, their want to is so low. So he goes to his own hometown. He, can't, he wants to heal. The power of God was present to heal, and he could do hardly anything with it because their want to was so low. There were too much in their heads. Isn't that interesting? He wanted to. God wanted to. It didn't happen because they didn't want to. Let's stop. I've said a lot. <laughs>